Welcome to the Eye on Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story, and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. I'm sitting here in the third floor of Maryland Hall in a dance studio, and thank God they're not asking me to dance, but I'm here with Kathy Sweckle, who is the general director of the Annapolis Opera. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? Good. Okay, what is a general director? I mean, we hear about executive directors and CEOs and stuff like that. What's a general director? That's a unique title. It's unique to the opera world, only because we have a lot of directors. We have our artistic director, we have a music director, we have stage director, but it's still the equivalent of the executive director. It's okay. just a structural thing. Okay, so a different name. So you are the one that is in pretty much in charge of coordinating this, uh, pardon the term, but ballet <laughs> of the opera. Yeah, the herding cats, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it would be the same as the executive director of a symphony orchestra. Okay. Um, it's just that we have so many different types of directors. We like to be able to explain each role. Okay, fantastic. Well, you know, we are so fortunate in Annapolis uh, that we have a hugely robust art scene. Uh, we've got visual arts, we've got performing arts. And for those that aren't aware, their Maryland Hall is the hub of the art scene down in Annapolis and, you know, the central Anne Arundel County with the Annapolis Opera, who we're here with. We've got the, of course, we've got the symphony, you've got the ballet, and you've got Live Arts Maryland, which isn't really hubbed here. They're hugged over at the mall, I think, now at this point, but uh, they do perform here. So, and it's just a wonderful, robust art scene that we have in the area. And you guys are celebrating your 50th year, which actually predates... I mean, this was still a high school back 50 years ago. Well, we were very fortunate in 1972 when they decided to turn the old high school into a community arts center rather than to destroy the building. Oh, you were? Okay, so that we was right came, 50 years ago. Wow. Well, we came in. We, we had been already formed and we were performing out in the community, but we were fortunate to be one of the founding resident companies. So when this opportunity for this building to be a hub for arts in Annapolis, we were able to come in at, at the ground floor. And that's been a really wonderful experience, not only for the community, but for us being able to be focused in one place, have an office, have a performance space. So it, it's been a win-win, not only for for Maryland Hall, but for the opera company and the community, because they know where to come when they want to see good art. Sure. Now, are you a professional art? Are you a professional opera company? I mean, oh, yes. I mean, this is I mean, you're not getting little Timmy down the end of the end of the block because he's got a good voice coming in to sing for you guys, are you? No, no. This is a thoroughly professional company and has been since its beginning. Uh, this is not a community theater group. It is not a community uh musician group, everyone involved in this company is a trained professional and many have uh, doctorates in the arts. So everything you see here is first rate and at a very high level artistically. So these guys are coming in for this performance and obviously there's, there's rehearsals and everything else like that and they, they do the performances and the show 
and then they go on to other ones and they may return. Is that how that sort of works? So each opera has to be cast with specific roles. And those uh, roles can be from someone who happens to live within the region, but the majority of our principal roles are actually from people who are from all over the country and sometimes from outside of the country. So they come, uh, they audition or they're invited to audition, then we cast them, then they come for three weeks prior to the performances where the entire ensemble rehearses. We also have a um, opera chorus, and our chorus members are based throughout Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. Okay, so, so if somebody is coming from Italy, uh, to use a trope, but it's, uh, or, or New York or something like this, okay, and we're coming down to do these performances, and you've got the three weeks for swimming, where are they staying? I mean, are they renting a hotel? Is that part of their cost of doing business for a professional opera Well, the, the performer is supplied housing, and here in Annapolis, um, our performers are hosted in patrons' homes. Generally, they'll have uh, a, an, like a basement apartment, or they have... Uh, a side of the house that has their own private bathroom and bedroom. And that allows them to just settle in, have a comfortable place, get to know our patrons. The patrons then help our artists find where to go to groceries, where's the best pub in town. I mean, it becomes a collaborative experience, which usually generates into friendships. And sometimes those last for years and years. And the patron will follow wherever the artist is going next. It's kind of this type of life as a opera performer it's kind of like living like a gypsy. You're I was always. Say, it sounds pretty nomadic to it me. It is. You you pack up and you live somewhere for a month and perform, and then you might get to go home for a week or two, and then you pack up and you go to the next one. So it's a very different lifestyle, and you're constantly learning and adapting your roles to different productions. So just because someone is here being Figaro, that person may go to the next opera company, let's say in San Francisco, to do Figaro. Well, it will be done differently there because the stage director and the artistic director all have different visions of how they want it to come across. Sure. So they're kind of tweaking their role, even though they know it. They show up knowing their music. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They will have to adapt to whatever that particular director is looking for. That's got to be challenging. It's very challenging, and it's a lifetime's work. That's why people, for instance, uh, Renee Fleming, I'll use as an example, because a lot of people know who she is. She has performed many roles hundreds of times, but each time she has to adapt and change and do something a little bit different. So it takes a whole lifetime to master those roles. So these emerging artists, these young professionals, are using this experience as a way of crafting and honing that role. So the next time they go to perform it, they have more in their hip pocket, as it were. Their toolbox is now full of new tools. And then they'll gather some more new tools. And that's how you develop a role over the period of a life. That's fantastic. So then there are performers out there that... Um, if Annapolis Opera was looking to get, and I'll, I'll show my ignorance here, but the person to play Figaro, I mean, there is somebody out there that is the Figaro. 
And I mean, obviously there's budget and, and availability and all that that plays into play. But I mean, so somebody that has gone through their life doing opera, particularly focused on specific roles, they can be like the top of the top of the Figaro game. True. And then they'll still have to learn something new. Because, because they're coming to Annapolis and we do things weird. That's right. <laughs> you know, we always uh, want to reflect kind of the time we're in because opera is all about telling stories. It is storytelling at its best because it includes all of the arts. It includes visual arts with the sets and the costumes, music, of course, because we have a symphony orchestra that plays live for all the performances. Uh, there's obviously singing. There's usually dancing, sometimes even a full ballet in the middle of an opera. Um, so we embrace all of the performing arts. That's why it is kind of a total experience when you have, when you come to see an opera. So we tell stories, but the stories may have originally been written in the 1800s but they're about the human condition. It's about being a human. So that story is still as important now as it was 200 years ago. It just depends on how you're telling the story. Most good stories are timeless. And anything about us as humans and us as a community. So we want to tell a story that you will leave feeling that you had an experience and you can relate to that. We all want to be safe. We all want to be loved. We all want to live in a great community that's vibrant. So those are the stories that we tell. And some of them are tragedies. Sure. Some are comedies, like our current uh, opera coming up, Figaro, the marriage of Figaro, actually. That's a comedy. And in fact, it's one of the best known comedies in all of the opera canon. Interesting. Now, has opera changed much over the years? I mean, you've, you've talked about the stories originating back in the 1800s. And I mean, opera even predates that by probably several hundred, you know, several hundred years. And I, I remember in high school, I mean, it was, you know, uh, it was, you know, you can't get, wait till the fat lady sings and the whole, I mean, has, has the experience of going to the opera changed over the years or is it pretty, pretty much the same? The experience is always new because we live in different time. Operas are always new. They're writing operas now. There are brand new operas out there being performed every day. There are even brand new operas performed at the Met and some of the biggest companies in the world because they need to be heard. And they're relevant stories about us now. This opera canon that's been developed over 400 years, those were stories not meant for rich people and for the king. Those are stories meant for the everyday man. It was a place to go complain about the king. It was a place to go talk about your existence. It was a place to learn a Bible story, maybe. It was a place to learn and share an experience with your fellow community member. So it wasn't an elitist. It, it wasn't like an elitist sport. Okay. This was where the everyday man went to be entertained. And that's still true today. It's just that we might have more sophisticated tools to do it. Like now we can use projections. Now we can use um, different sound effects. We have new tools that we adapt and adjust as we move through it. But the experience of sharing opera live with a group of people is still as exciting as it ever was before. Well, any experience shared with other people is, is much exciting. I mean, you can just even two people hike out hiking on a trail uh, versus a whole, you know, a, a giant crowd 
experiencing a rock and roll concert or something like that. I mean, it's, it's always a, a good experience. Exactly. And I remember the last opera I sang here, and I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a huge opera fan. I do appreciate it, and I come here, and I'm, what my problem is is that there's so much going on, and I don't speak Italian or whatever language that, that it's sung in, and, and trying to follow, and you've got the super titles up on top, which is a, a just a great thing. And I found myself going like, Oh, and now I need to look down and watch what's happening on the stage. And I'm like, oh, what are they talking about? And I'm looking up to, you know, looking up to see. Uh, and that, you know, I, I go back and forth. But as you said, the technology has really evolved uh, to be able to allow people to immerse themselves in the in the story and the experience. So we have a couple of options for people who, one, I don't speak fluent Italian, French, German, Czech, right. uh, in order to come to an opera. That wasn't a prerequisite of the job? No, it was not, thank goodness, <laughs> nor was singing. <laughs> but uh, we do have the super titles, which are great. You can look up and see kind of a snippet of what's going on, and then you can just follow the action on the stage. You don't need to be reading every word. The other thing we do, we offer a lot of free, um, what we call our Opera Insight Series, and they're free discussions and presentations that give you information on the opera that you're going to see. And we even do those weeks before the opera, and then the night of the opera, uh, an hour before the performance, there is another free presentation that kind of gives you a little encapsulation, what the storyline is about, what you should be looking for, why this is important. You know, those little snippets that make what's happening on the stage even more uh, clear. So if you didn't know that the count back in the day, felt he had the right to chase every maiden around on his estate, you might not get that little joke. So if you have this insight, you'll see the behavior on the stage become more uh, present. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Because, I mean, that, that can really help develop a love of opera from a super young age. And it's helpful because the younger you are when you start embracing and sharing these kinds of experiences, looking at them differently, the more, the easier it is to come and see more and more operas because right. you, you already kind of get the gist of where you're going. But going to the free lectures really gives you some important insight that makes it more fun. I'm, I'm making a mental note of that because the next one I'm coming, I'm definitely going to check out the lectures to see because... Uh, as I said, I had, you know, it was like up, down, look at the things, down, figure out, and my mind sort of scrambled a little bit, but be able to sit there and sort of have the uh, clip note lights, I guess, you know, coming in beforehand. Is that there's a, oh, okay, now I get what she's doing. I get what he's doing. And sometimes I tell people if, if they can, take a moment, close your eyes, don't read anything, just listen. Just feel the music passing through you and think about how that makes you feel. That in and of itself, that is a unique experience. And sometimes people think that they have to capture everything in order to feel or experience an opera. And I think you can, you can just allow the music to wash over you sometimes and just embrace that sensation. Well, as you said, you have a live symphony and there's nothing Nothing compares to live music, and I don't care how well this DVD or CD is cut or how high bits you've got in the, the streaming. Uh, there is nothing 
that compares that. And, and I will say that, I mean, even when there's little mistakes and burps and stuff like that, that are, that are evolving that we may not know as, as patrons, but that makes everything unique. And that makes the experience unique every single time, um, which is pretty neat. Well, you mentioned Figaro a couple of times and the Annapolis opera has a performance, a, a several performances coming up uh, March 17th and 19th. And it's the marriage of Figaro. So, Tell us about that. Well, uh, first, it's the the last of our major performances, uh, major productions, I should say. We've had three this year, including Marriage of Figaro. So we're ending our 50th anniversary uh, production with this. And again, it was to have some fun. It's a fun comedy. I like to say that it's kind of a screwball comedy, but the women win. And I'm always in favor That's of the not women. Fun. <laughs> Where are you coming with this fun stuff here? So I, I like it for that reason. Um, and then we do follow that with a very special concert on April 15th with John Holiday and then our vocal competition. So we still have past. Figaro, we still have two more important events coming up. Um, but the F Marriage of Figaro, if you've not seen an opera, this is a good opera to attend because it is light. It is funny. It's easy to figure out even if you don't read the sub, the, what we call the super titles. The music is just Mozart at its best. And, and people don't know it, but they actually know a lot of this music. It surrounds us. People forget opera is absolutely everywhere. It's almost in every single Warner Brother cartoon. It is. Yeah. Okay. It is an ads everywhere. Spaghetti sauce commercials, British Airlines, Kleenex tissue, if you can believe it. It's everywhere. And people don't know that they actually know the music of opera. So that's why Figaro is so easy and accessible. Um, the Marriage of Figaro just is, I think it's either one of the top five or the top uh, one or two operas performed ever. Mo you know, it's performed the most. The most, sure, sure, that makes sense. Well, AnnapolisOpera.org is the website, and you want to get, you can get tickets now available right at Annapolis.org, uh, both for the Voices of Our Time or the Annapolis Opera Vocal Competition. Now, what's the vocal competition? Is that, is that, can I try out for the opera next year? Uh, no. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> and, and, oh, and the other thing I wanted to ask you too, you said you had the, the two preceding productions before the marriage of Figaro. Is that typically your year is three major productions a year? And then uh, we usually do two major productions, but we've been expanding and growing, which is really a wonderful thing to say. We're working on our productions for next year, which we have not announced yet, but we will be announcing in our program for a marriage of Figaro. Okay. As far as the vocal competition, this is the 35th year that we have done it. We now have over 300 applicants nationwide who apply. They are judged by a panel of three judges and reduced down to about 32 from that 300. And then those 32, again, are judged by another panel of three judges and reduced down to approximately eight, who then physically come to Annapolis and perform on stage and are judged by a panel of judges. The vocal competition is free and it's open to the public. Anybody can come and sit and watch this. It's really fascinating. And then on top of it, as a 
audience member, you get to vote for your favorite. So it's like being on American you know, Eilish or yes, something like yeah. that. So you get to you get to put in your vote and it counts for money. We give away over twenty thousand dollars in prizes. So uh, you have an impact by being there. So is is it Purely opera that we're hearing as far as the vocal competition? I mean, For they, this competition, it is purely opera. They have to present up to five pieces in at least three different languages. Okay. And what's... I mean, what's in it for them? Is that just, is it just a money thing? I mean, it's not a, it's not a position. It's not a, a role or anything like that. No, but because they're in front of these panels of judges, these judges are really influential in the opera they're, world. They're going to be in, at the Met in New York. They're going to be everywhere else. Too. And, and this is a place for them to be seen by people who can help them, who can mentor them, who want to see them succeed. And then the money helps them continue their studies or, or whatever they or whatever yes. maybe yeah mm -hmm. okay that's that's it yeah i mean we, i guess we all can't be Pavarotti, so it's <laughs> it, it take, like, again it takes a lifetime of training and practice it is uh it is a lifestyle not a job do opera singers are is that a is that a lucrative i mean i mean certainly you know on on the upper end it it's very lucrative i'm i'm sure just like with any musician but i mean is a you know an opera singer the, the type the performers that you may see in New York or in here or at DC or Baltimore, or wherever, um, is that a is that a fairly lucrative career? It can be, okay. and it can be a, a very um, satisfying career because you're doing something you really love. Well, I mean, that's and any career, regardless of the money. It's true, but I I, I want to preface it that it's hard work. And it takes, again, it takes a life of learning, but it's also something that's very satisfying. It's very gratifying. It can be financially very stable, but again, you have to work really hard. Like in any profession, you don't go to a dentist who just got their dental certificate and has never put a filling in a tooth, that dentist has to go to training and school and develop it. And, and, and develop his reputation. Exactly. And everything else. Well, it's, it's funny. And I, I've got to think that, you know, when the curtain comes down, the show is over, it's got to be the best moment of a, an opera singer or performer's life yeah. or at, at that time. And, and I'm going to loop back just to give you an idea. For instance, our, our uh, guest artist coming, John Holiday, who will be here for our Voices of Our Time concert. He's the perfect example of a lifetime of training, even though he's still very young by most people's standards. Um, he is performing at the Met. Believe it or not, he was a finalist on The Voice, so a lot of people know him from the TV show. And he is a teacher at uh, Lawrence College. He, he wears multiple hats. He's a, a broad talent that thrives in many genres. He does gospel, jazz, uh, traditional opera, pop music. He is somebody who is so gifted and unique. We're, we're thrilled that we could get him to come here. So this is the type of artist that opera artists are these days. They're not just one thing. They're multiple things because they have the right training. They can embrace different genres and styles and, and expand their world as a professional. I, I, I love when you see professionals sort of switch, get out of their, I don't want to say comfort zone because that's not the right word, but just 
they're doing something different. Uh, I'm good friends with a band out of Philadelphia that had some good moderate success in the, in the eighties with rock and roll and they tour Europe every year still. And they do things with like the, um, Vienna symphony and, right. and you know, and it's, it's, uh, we're bringing in the rock and the classics. And, uh, when you see something like that, when you see a performer that can go from one to the other, it's pretty amazing. You can also, as, as you mentioned, you're hearing opera everywhere you go when you don't realize is, Oh, so the, you know, some classic can use a little bit of the rock or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the rock used a little bit of the classic. Uh, it's usually the other way around. It's usually that you are growing and pulling, um, music and thought processes when you're developing music that you've heard and you've changed in your brain. There are these, you know, some people call them, uh, what is it? An earworm. Mm hmm. Those are always there present, omnipresent in a musician's head, and it's how they remake. They all come from somewhere else. Even opera comes from somewhere else. For instance, um, a lot of people know the musical Rent. Yes. Okay, but that's the opera La Boheme. Oh, is it? And La Boheme is from a book, and then it was from a play. And so it, it all comes back to something else. Wow. So it's all an evolution and it hasn't stopped. And we still incorporate those core, you know, core basic elements of music and its foundation, which people do align with classic, but it all comes from that source. There's a well and all those notes came tumbling out of that well. It's just how we put them on the page. How can we support um, Annapolis Opera here in Annapolis and Anne Arundel County. What's the best way? I mean, obviously the low hanging fruit is for crying out loud, come and experience an opera. Oh, uh, that's first and foremost. Come, I, I keep referring to that old commercial from the, what it was the nineties. Try us. You'll like us. I don't remember. Was it, was it, was it, hey Mikey, the life cereal. Hey Mikey, try it. You'll, you'll like, like it. it. Yeah, something that, like that. That's what it was. Thank <laughs> you. Mikey, for, come to the there opera. There you go. Thank you for correcting me. Um, I knew it was from one source, but yes, come and see it. Come experience it. Try a different experience. Expose yourself to something you never thought you would expose yourself to just to see it, what it's like. Uh, I know that when I introduce myself sometimes at a party and somebody asks me what I do and I say I run an opera company, they kind of roll their eyes and, and kind of cough and walk away because they don't know what to say. Stick with the Amway. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, you know, have you ever been to an opera? Well, no. How do you know you like it or not? Well, I don't know. I, don't, I just know I don't like opera. And I said, well, do you like this music or do you like that musical? Well, yeah, those are great. Well, guess what? <laughs> those are opera. So come see us. Come experience that. If you want something that's a little easier entry point, just to hear the music or be exposed to different music, come see John Holiday. That's going to be an amazing performance because he, he will bring you into a whole different sound world. And that's a good place to start if you're a little trepidatious about a whole opera. And I mean, are you a membership based organization? I mean, do you have season members or season ticket holders? And or Well, we do have season ticket holders. We have subscriptions. Um, that was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Thank you. We do. Uh, we always sell those at the beginning of the year. These get launched generally in July. Uh, we have just started a brand new opera guild, which will be in our program for the marriage of Figaro. Uh, and that is a membership based organization that helps the opera complete its mission, which is 
make us uh, make our community aware of us, reach out, community involvement, education programs, fundraising programs. So the guild is just now starting and people can find information on, on that and what they do on our website, AnnapolisOpera.org. Fantastic. Um, volunteers, I mean, it doesn't all just magically happen. Can you use volunteers? We use volunteers in a variety of uh, fashion. We have, we have seamstresses who help us with our costumes. We have people who help find props. We have people who help usher at special events. We have people who help at our receptions. Um, we have a variety of, of needs and we welcome volunteers all the time. And Maryland Hall, actually, do they provide like your ushers and stuff like that? Is Maryland that Hall does provide um, ushers at our big performances. Uh, however, we still use volunteers for many other activities that are happening during that time. Right. When your opera company is getting, I'm going back, but I mean, do they rehearse here? And, and is it, or is it, I, I know the space is tight here with you know you're competing with other other organizations for stage time if you will well we rehearse up to six or seven hours a day wow for three weeks six days a week only one day off um so there is not space at maryland hall for us to do that so we are utilizing um asbury united methodist church has kindly allowed us to uh, take over their fellowship hall so that we can rehearse during that period. We are looking for a permanent home so that we have a place to rehearse, that we don't have to move around. Um, so that is part of our current mission to find a permanent home for the opera company. Um, however, Maryland Hall is where we perform uh, our big productions. We do concerts and other community activities out all over the county. So you might run into us at a rotary meeting where we'll come in and bring a singer or um, at some other community association who invites us in. And I know you do have an annual gala as well. Yes, um, it's an important part of our fundraising initiatives. Even if you don't like opera, it's a good party. It's a great party. We, we like to have fun. Uh, opera is never boring. And again, it is for and was written specifically for the everyday person so that they had a shared experience with their community. So we're about building community. Well, Marriage of Figaro, March 17th and 19th. We got a few days. You can get your tickets at annapolisopera.org. Look at the voices of our time, April 15th. Uh, maybe you need to hear some good music before you file your taxes on the 18th. I don't know what, what goes on there. Uh, and the vocal competition on April 16th, which is, I guess, the Sunday, right? Yes, it is. Sunday afternoon. Um, and that that is open to the public and there is no charge and that'll Correct. be right here in Maryland Hall in the main right auditorium. Here. Yep. It's right here and it's free. Okay. And I'm looking on my notes here and I said, well, what's up for next season? But you already told me you're keeping that under wraps until the program is launched for the marriage of Figaro on the 15th or 17th. So you're going to have to wait until then to figure out what's coming up for next year. Correct. The big reveal. There you go. Kathy, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, learned an awful lot about opera. Um, I'm going to, I gotta look at my calendar. I'm gonna. I might want to be here to the marriage of Figaro because I'm not. I, I've seen a handful, and uh, not that one. So I'm. I'm. I'm 99% gonna be here as long as I'm in town. Oh, great! Well, we'd love to see you and your friends and and all your listeners too. Thanks for listening to this week's local business spotlight. 
Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.